Before you go, and I always remind you that the reason I chose that title is because the book of Acts is about not so much the Acts of the Apostles as much as it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it always reminded me of that old American Express commercial where the jingle of the commercial was, never leave home without it. And what a great reminder for us each and every day is never leave home without the Holy Spirit. Yes, he has sealed you for the day of your salvation. He lives within you. But oftentimes we can go out without realizing the presence of God in our life and definitely not being in step with him. And so as we look at Acts chapter 4 here this morning, verses 1 through 22, I, I titled it uh, this morning, The Great Adventure, because that's really what the Christian life is. And so let's take a moment, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into this. And Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we love to to feed on it the same way that, Lord, we enjoy a good meal. That Jesus, you said that man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And thank you that you'll feed us today and that you'll nourish and strengthen, Lord, our spirit. And that's what we need more than anything in this, these days in which we live. And so I thank you for the opportunity to come and to sing praises this morning, to worship you to just set our affections on the things up above and not on the things of this earth. And uh, Lord, thank you for each person here. I, I know that we could be a lot of places today, but to choose, Lord, to come together. Lord, what a blessing that is. It's just a, a reminder of why you came and you lived and you died and you rose again. You did it for the church, for us, for your bride. And so we have reason to celebrate today when we do that. Lord, we have reason to give you praise. And Lord, we do that. We have reason to seek you for this day, and we do that, and we pray, uh, Lord, for one another. All of us came in with needs today, and I pray that, Lord, you would, as your word declares, my God shall supply all of your need by his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus, and Lord, that you would do that today. And collectively, Lord, we pray for Israel today. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and Lord, our hearts just break for what these families are suffering through at the hands of Hamas, and Lord, we we pray a hedge of protection about them. We pray that, Lord, the world would see you, that the Lord, through all this, that their eyes would be opened the same way that as we study your word today, that the eyes of the Jews became open to the mistake that they made in crucifying the Son of Glory. And Lord, that just means that, God, we need to be praying, that we need to be sharing, we need to be living out our faith like never before. We believe the time is short. And Lord, equip us today. Again, fill us. Lord, send us out today. Uh, Lord, we know we go out as, as sheep amongst wolves, but Lord, thank you that you're the good shepherd and you lead us and guide us. And we hear your voice and we look forward to doing that even now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I remind you a few things as we open up the word here, just looking back, if you haven't been with us, remember on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 there in that upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit simultaneously. That's what made this uh, such a unique event. It was the day that we said that the church was born. So we have a lot to study as to what did the church do? This isn't the first church, this is the church. And the church just continues. It says the Lord adds to the church daily. We're just part of a, I didn't understand this. I was raised Catholic, but I became Catholic again in the truest sense because Catholic just means what? Universal. We're just part of the body of Christ, universal. And I love that. Not Catholic is in the sense of the Catholic church that practices Catholicism, but we are part of the universal church. And again, where Jesus Christ is the head and we're the body of Christ. And so 
In the beginning of the church, when it was born, we see that they did four things, and that's really the earmarks of the church. They continued, it said, steadfastly, means they dedicated their lives to the apostles' teaching. They sat under the apostles, listened to their teaching. First New Testament wasn't written for another, probably from that time, another 40-some-odd years. And if faith came by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God, they listened. Their fellowship, they came together, just like we're doing today, praying for each other, uh, praying for one another. Sometimes that you'll learn that people are praying for you, and just as you do, you pray for people that don't even know, you know, that they're praying for you. Love that last night, and I had an opportunity to sit there and just one of our college students said, "Hey, this is the Lord's put this person on my heart, and I just feel this need to pray for him." So we just stop right there and you pray. And I think that is so profound what we have at our disposal. And we were talking about this. We go, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I said, "Do you have to go to Jerusalem to pray for Jerusalem?" They're like, "No." I go, that's the power of prayer. We can just get a globe out, right? You can just look at it and put your finger and go, hey, we're going to pray for this today. I, I have a little saying with my granddaughter, Reese. I don't even know how this ever came up, but it had something to do with Argentina. So I would ask her every day, and I pretty much do this almost every time I see her when she comes home from school. I say, hey, Reese, I go, did you, I used to say, Reese, did you learn anything about Argentina today? And she'd say, no, Opa. And then one day she came up and she goes, Opa, guess what? We learned about Argentina today. And I was like, yes. So now I just go, hey, Reese, did, and she goes. And then last week, obviously, if you saw that there was a fire, a big fire in Argentina that was sweeping towards the city. So I sent a note to my son. I said, hey, tell Reese we need to pray for Argentina. And so we did that. And it was really cool. And I, t I talked to her about that. I go, but we can pray for Argentina right here. And so it was just a, a neat conversation that we would understand the power of prayer. So they continued their doctrine, their fellowship, the breaking of bread that was sharing meals together like we did last night, communion as we do often here in the life of our church, and then prayer. And that's what marks the church. When you're looking for a church, you want to make sure that when you, you break it all down, you look through the smoke in the mirrors, you go, is this church committed to the apostles' doctrine, to their fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayer? And it's not, a, it's not wrong to ask, are there good cooks in the church? Okay, that's okay, because the fellowship is a big thing. And you get some of your best recipes, don't you? I hear people all the time, go, man, who made this? And I always love it when it's a guy. They go, yeah, this guy just likes to bake. And they go, oh my gosh, this is, can I have that recipe? And you go, uh, we have to be here at least two years before we start giving out recipes. But, and I, I love this, when you think about it, it was Jesus who said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Whose job is it to build the church? Is it our job? No, it's the Lord's job. We see this in the book of Acts. Again, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit, not the acts of the apostles, right? And what you see each time, it says, and the Lord added to the church, right? Daily, those that were being saved. It wasn't the church going, hey, we've got this program. We're going to go out and do this. It was they committed themselves to what God called them to be committed to. And then the Lord, you know, added to the church. And what that reminds me of is if we'll just do the things that God has called us to do, you know, he'll bless our lives and he will bless the church. He'll take care of it. He gave his life for it. And so as we study through this, like I said, we're looking specifically in this particular study to, to see what is the Holy Spirit doing and what are the things that we can be reminded of with regard to our own relationship with God. Because in the truest sense, is Christianity a religion or is it a relationship? It's a relationship, yeah. And that's why you see them saying, and they continued steadfastly doing what? All those things. And it says, and they met. How frequently did they meet? 
says daily, right? Daily. It was just, that was their life. It's as, as Paul would write, it's Christ who is our life. It's not an event. It's not just, okay, I go to church on Sunday. No, to think about this, that you've been born again in the spirit, right? You and I have the ability. Think about this. We, could, we take this so for granted that we have the ability to meet with the God who created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And to think about that, the thing that in the Old Testament, remember, who could go before God in the Old Testament, you recall? The high priest, right? And how frequently could the high priest go into the presence of God? One day out of the year, one day, live for one day, the day of Yom Kippur, right? And you go, but we have an opportunity, the writer of Hebrews says, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. How often can we come to God? Every day. How long? 24-7, right? Man, it's always available for us to be able to come and enjoy a relationship with God. And that's what's so different. That's what we would call life in the Spirit. Because as we celebrate communion, we're reminded it was His body that was broken, right? It was His blood that was shed for us. But even the greater knowledge is understanding what Jesus said. Remember, He said, go into the world, right? You're my disciples, and go into the world and make disciples. And He said, and lo, what? I'm with you always, right? How's he with us? He's in heaven. It was by the person of the Holy Spirit, who he said would pray. Because remember, when Jesus walked this earth, Philippians tells us that his deity, his, his you know, being God was clothed in humanity, right? That he took on human flesh. And so Jesus was limited by his own, he made himself that way, that he, it, the, his power, his strength was limited to where he was at, at that given moment in time. And so that's why he told his disciples, he said, it's better. And you think about that. He goes, it's better that I go. I go to heaven because when I go to heaven, I'll pray to the father. And then the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll be with you and he'll be in you wherever you go. Everybody can enjoy the very presence of God. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And it's really what has totally changed the world here. And what we learn with that, and especially, I look at Peter and John, remember they were going up during the third hour. Hey, Jason, is that, is this air on at all? Can you check that? It's like stagnant up here. Thank you. And it's the third hour. Like I said, and I, I shared this with you that they didn't go to the hour of sacrifice. They didn't need to because uh, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. When he hung on the cross and he said it was finished, it was done. But they continued to go to the temple and they would go during the hour of prayer. And they would go there and they would pray and they would petition the Lord. They would meditate and just wait on the Lord and they would adore God in prayer. And they were just, again, doing what we did today. We got up, just ordinary people, and we come to church. Do you think Peter woke up that day and he goes, man, God is going to do an extraordinary thing today. He had no clue. It was the Holy Spirit chose. And this is one of those things that's so mind-boggling to me is that I shared with you and that Jesus himself would have passed that man. Because in Acts chapter 4, it tells us that he was born basically crippled, that for 40 years of his life, he was crippled. So that means that Jesus walked past this man during his ministry here on earth and did not heal the man. And you go, and again, that shouldn't discourage you. That should encourage you if you see it through the eyes of faith. And I'll speak on that in just a few moments. That'll give you a reason to 
continue to pay attention. But I love that Jesus said, nothing's impossible with God. Amen. What's impossible with God? Nothing. He goes, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And, and we're reminded of that. Here's Peter and John. They're just being about the father's business, right? They're just doing what they should be doing. And God chose that moment in time to do the extraordinary. And he wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in mine. And I wonder how many times in life we have missed those moments, as I shared with you last week about the story of the man who heard the voice of God prompting him to go into the bookstore. And he went in and, and God spared his life. And you go, how many things has God spoken to us or whispered to us that we've missed? Because I truly do believe with all my heart that it, more than the sins of commission that you and I have committed, the things that we set out to do, I think there's far many more sins of omission, things that we failed to do because we just weren't paying attention, that we just you know, got ahead of God. I shared that with you. It's probably one of my biggest downfalls in life is getting ahead of God. And not again, and I love this because Acts draws this out. You don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit any longer. The day of Pentecost has fully come, but what you have to do and what I have to do is to learn how to wait on the Lord, waiting on the Lord and allow him to have his way in our life to, and, you know, and to be patient, right? Because a lot of times we're just not patient. We're, we're in a hurry. We want it now. And again, the scripture's adamantly clear. Those who what, wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And great reminder as we look at this, I'm reminded of, of Psalm 37, 23 and 24. When I think of Peter and John, it says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, now, and this is interesting, you read this, it says, he delights in every detail of their life. It says, though they stumble. Well, how can God delight in our stumbling? You're going to have to ask him that one. That's, I, I can't tell you that one, but I love that he knows everything about us and he loves us. And he says, though they stumble, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. And of all the things that we could be reminded of today, as we, we think about the acts of the Holy Spirit, and we look at Peter and John's life, and you realize that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he came into your life and he comes upon your life. We see here in Acts chapter four, if you think about Peter, like people go, well, Pastor Mike, my theology, I believe that the day I got saved, uh, the Holy Spirit came into my life. And I, I totally agree with you. And I go, but I also see that Peter in Acts chapter two, I think it's pretty safe to say he was there in the upper room and it says, and he received the Holy Spirit, right? And then it says in Acts chapter four, again, it says, and Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this was, again, the beauty of that, when you study it out, being filled is a continual, it's in the present tense. It's a continual process. You can be filled again and again. That should never create an argument for people. That should be an invitation for us to go, man, I need Jesus. And I, there's probably not one of you that I haven't had the opportunity to talk with or pray with that you look at and you go, yeah, there's been times when, man, I just felt empty and I prayed and God filled me. He, he filled me up and I love that. And you go, yeah, that's the God that we serve. It's like your car. When it, you got a brand new car or used car and it was new to you, you filled it up with gas and you drove it. I don't think as soon as it ran out of gas, you just got out of it and went, okay, that's it. You know, go buy another car. Hope they fill it up. You go, no, you go back and same car, but you do what? You go to the filling station, you go, it's empty. So I fill it up, which costs a lot these days, by the way. I went and filled my truck up the other day. It stopped at $200 and it wasn't even full. And I was just like, that's, that's interesting. That's a lot of money 
and it's not even full. I, it was full because it stopped at 200, but it still had three gallons more to go before the truck was full, but crazy. But you go, but in the spirit, you go, we can pray whenever we feel like we are running low and to know that God will fill us up. That he said, again, what a great reminder. He said, how much more would the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to all who what? Beg, right? No, that's not what he said. To all who ask, that we'd ask. And I'll just keep bringing that point home all through the book of Acts is let's ask, let, let's keep asking. Let's keep asking the Lord to do that. Being reminded of Ephesians 2.10, for it says, for we are God's masterpiece that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And some of your translations will say, before the foundation of the world ever was. Yeah, God's got a plan. He wants to empower you to do that. And so again, that's why it's important to hear his voice, to be studying the word of God, to be walking with him. I've asked this many times, and even without a show of hands, you have to determine what camp you're in. Are you in the camp of coincidence today that you just believe that life is chance and or do you, are you a person that believes in the providence of God, that God actually does lead and guide and direct our steps? And I hope you become part of that second group that then begins to look and go, okay, Lord, I, I want to, no wonder Jesus then taught us to pray, right? Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You go, every day is a new day, right? As Lamentation says, and the mercies of God are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. I just know this, that as we look at the church yeah, being born here in chapter four, what we begin to see is persecution, persecution. The Bible is adamantly clear that those who desire, Paul said, to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. And here's a hard, here's a hard statement for me to make, and it's a hard one for you to accept today. I know some of you, because you'll want to disagree with this. If you're not being persecuted for your faith, are you really living your faith? Because the Bible is explicitly clear. It says, does it say some people will suffer persecution? No, it says all. It's inclusive. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's why there is a falling away when things get tough. There's an old expression, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But what happens is there's a separation that takes place too. The people go, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. You heard like I heard, I shared this with you at my, and this in the politest form that I can say it in. But if I could meet the person that I met right when I gave my life to the Lord, and I remember, cause I wanted to tell everybody and I was at San Diego state and I was telling someone about giving my life to Jesus Christ. And they go, oh, Mike, oh. I just want you to know everything in your life is going to just be so good now. It's going to get easier and everything. It's, it's just like you wake up and the clouds part and it's sunny, even if it's raining outside. And it's just, God just going to bless you and take care of you. And though everything's just, it's going to be perfect from this point on. And that's not how it went. Life got harder and I went through all kinds of stuff. And I remember I was a young Christian. Okay. I was like, man, if I could find that person, I'd punch him right in the face. I go, because that is not how it was. It wasn't that way. I, it, all of a sudden I'm sharing Jesus with people and they're mad at me. 
they don't want to hear anything that I have to say. Some people said very obscene things to me. And at that point, I didn't know everything about the Bible, so it hurt my feelings. And I was like, man, God, what is, I don't understand. Shouldn't everybody just be all excited? Tell them Jesus loves you. And, and you go, no. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, oh, no, that's not how it is. They go, you got a target on your back now. And I remember thinking to myself as a young Christian, I don't want a target on my back. And then, like I said, the first verse that I, I memorized out of the Bible that I knew was God helps those who help themselves, right? So I'm studying, looking. It's not in the scriptures. God helps those who what? Can't help themselves. So I had a terrible theology. I'd grown up in the world that claims to know and understand God. But I want you to understand this, and this is what we're going to see. Persecution is real, and it began right there in Jerusalem at the birth of the church. And so as I look at this and I think about it, this glimpse that we get most biblical scholars will tell us that for the next 300 years, the church is going to suffer through, you look back through over history, right? 10 waves of persecution, beginning with Caesar Nero and watching this wave after wave all the way up till Diocletian. And it was so horrific. It's not far-fetched for us to understand it because we can look at what Hamas did just this last week if you saw some of the things on the news, and I'm glad that there were some new ag news agencies that were willing to report it because this, it's a reality in life. You have Jews being killed because they're Jewish, okay? For no other reason, just going because they are Jewish and to literally try to exterminate people off the face of this earth. It was the same thing for Christians. They were being killed for the simple fact that they were Christians, right? So what did Caesar Nero do? Many of you have heard this, that he literally dipped, we think of John being boiled in oil, right? That they would dip Christians in pitch, right? Tar, and then tie them to these wooden posts in Caesar Nero's garden, if you remember hearing this, and they would light him on fire at night while he was in a drunken stupor, and he would ride around his garden chariot, in his chariot, through his gardens as Christians were being lit. That's what he used as street lights, you could say, in his palace area. And this was the things that happened to the early church. They understood that to be a Christian and to believe in Jesus Christ, nothing more, just to believe in Jesus Christ, you had a death sentence that was placed over your head. Now, we get this in the United States. You can be a Christian, and if you are verbal in your faith and you're on social media, is there a good chance that you're going to get kicked off social media? Yeah. I got kicked off Facebook, and I wasn't even on Facebook. That's what was so funny. Our, my devotional that I would do would be sent out, and it was attached to Facebook. And so it would go out through Facebook, and then because so I had to get a hold of because I was Facebook sent me a letter saying I'd been kicked off Facebook, and I was like, I'm not on Facebook. How can I get kicked off? And they go, and I, oh, that's right. Yeah, we use Facebook to it sends it out. And I'm like, why? So they have to tell you because for hate speech. With hate speech? What was the hate speech? I didn't say anything bad about anybody. Oh, no, you, you said Jesus was the only way to heaven. He is the only way. Oh, you just insulted every other world religion. And I go, I oh, know I told them the truth. I wasn't trying to insult them. I, I just was telling them the truth. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And they go, that's enough. You say you're done. I'm like, wow. So then I understood why Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Chino Hills, why you create your own, you create your own internet in the sense that they can't cancel you. But that's what we suffer in the United States. What's impacted? It's our ego, right? 
That's not what's happening to the early church. They literally were being crucified. They were being beaten to death for what they believed. And so you look at this in Acts chapter four, you know, pick it up there in verse one. He says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed, that key word there, disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. And, and Peter and John, they were the ones who were being confronted. People, there's, we're not called to be obnoxious to people. The you know, Bible's very clear. We're to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And that's what happened. God used the miracle of healing the crippled man to get people's attention. And they began to ask. And Peter's answering them, how did this happen? Because they want to know, how did this happen? And so Peter, again, in boldness, that's one of the things you can always tell when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person is that they will have boldness for God. Peter, remember, was a coward. As Jesus was on trial, he's standing out there over a fire and a little girl says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He's like, hey, I don't have nothing to do with him, right? How does Peter go? Same people, right? Caiaphas, Annas, and here's Peter now standing before them. You go, what happened? You go, the resurrection from the dead. Pentecost, the pouring of the Holy Spirit out on a person's life. There's this holy boldness now that's taken place. And again, he's ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within him. And that word disturbed is interesting because it, it made them mad, but really it frustrated them. Uh, if you look at that word, if you looked it up, disturbed means pained, right? Literally, they were angry. They were visibly shaken. Have you ever seen somebody get so angry that they just shake? And this is what's happening there. And you're going over words, over the fact that they're declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the one who performed this miracle here. And again, I think it's pretty safe to say the gospel will always disturb people because what does it do? It disrupts the status quo, right? It goes against the grain. If you think about Sadducees and Pharisees, let me read this little explanation for you so it'll maybe make it uh, easier to comprehend what's going on here. This is especially with the Sadducees. While Jesus, for the most part, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were always against him, but when Jesus was walking the earth, it was predominantly the Pharisees that were against him because they were the legalists. They held to the letter of the law. And so when Jesus would do something that they thought was against the law, they confronted him. But the Sadducees were in the background, but now the Sadducees are in the forefront because Jesus has ascended into heaven. Guess what? The sad, and this is why, again, What's maybe the easiest way? You got to remember, I was a youth pastor before I was a senior pastor. And I would tell the kids, hey, the easiest way I know to remember the Pharisees is you go, they're to the letter of the law. And so for them, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair, right? And because the Sadducees didn't believe in miracles and they didn't believe in the resurrection, that's why you could say it's sad that you don't believe in the resurrection and you don't believe in miracles. And it would make anybody very sad. So I go, that's how you can tell the difference here. So obviously, what are they going to do? This guy has been healed, right? This cripple who's been crippled for 40 years has been healed. And if you're a Sadducee and you don't believe in miracles, what are you going to do now? Because, because everybody's seen it. Everybody knew this guy, right? Yeah, they're going, now what do we do? And then Peter goes, oh, and this Jesus whom you crucified is what? He's ascended into heaven. What did he do? He was raised from the dead. When you don't believe in a resurrection, and you got a whole bunch of people that do, and they were eyewitnesses to it, will that confront you in your faith? Absolutely. And to top it off, who, who really got upset when Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers? 
It was the Sadducees. And you go, why? You go, because they controlled the purse strings. And you think about this. See, when Jesus, Jesus said, the truth you'll know and the truth will set you free, did you have to bring your sacrifice any longer to the temple? Could you have to be, you would get this. At the time, you think about Annas, who was the high priest, and then Caiaphas, his son-in-law, came after him. That's why you see it's not a mistake there. It was Annas. He was there first. Then he was removed, and Caiaphas was put in power. But Caiaphas, we'll just say him, his annual salary back then, 33 AD, was over what we would see today, over $3 million a year. Can you imagine what you could buy back then with $3 million? When people all of a sudden start getting saved and they don't have to bring their sacrifice to the temple any longer because Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the sacrifice. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? That his sacrifice was what? Once and for all, right? Would that upset you if you're selling sacrifices and you're making money off the people? And you'd go, yeah, that might tick you off. And that's exactly what's taken place here. And so they're infuriated with Jesus. And so as you look at this, it's important that we understand that. Verse four goes on, it says, but as many people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men, so think about this, they're only counting the men. So that doesn't count the women, doesn't count the children. It was men, that was how they made the calculation. It says, now totaled about 5,000. So on the day of Pentecost, how many people got saved? 3,000, right? And now the Lord's added another 2,000. And you go, in the midst of even persecution, and people saw the persecution. You go, but what did Jesus teach us? The truth. The truth people will know. And what? Truth will set you free. And I love that. There's an old saying that says, if you can't handle the heat, stay out of the kitchen. God used persecution to do what? To cause the church's roots to go deeper. Because if you're going to be persecuted, are you going to check yourself? Are you going to look at what you believe? You want to make sure you go, if I'm going to suffer for this, right? I want to make sure this is the real deal. And they did. And that beauty of that, like I said, when you study testimony, that this wasn't group delusion, right? Every one of them, they saw Jesus raised from the dead and they had made a determination. I, I can't deny what I know to be true. And they were up to the point that we know everybody except the apostle John all died martyrs' deaths. They were convinced to the point that they were willing to die. They were willing to have their families, just like we saw this last week with Hamas, that their families murdered and raped and babies beheaded right in front of their families, tortured, and people not denouncing what they believe and know to be true. And you go, what a terrible thing that happens, the atrocities in the world today. And yet the church has remained faithful. So what did the Lord do? He added to the church. It wasn't them. It was God using them. People were looking at it. They're going, again, just like the Roman soldier. And that's one of my favorite stories. Because I look at the cross, that Roman soldier would have been so hardened, probably did crucifixions all day long. That was the, and then the, it was, you think about the torture and the pleasure, so much so that even when Jesus is on the cross, what are they doing? They're gambling, right? They're casting lots for his garments, right? These, these guys are sick. And yet this Roman soldier looks at the way that Jesus died on that cross and the love and the compassion. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he said, surely this is the son of God. Because he was so different. Love. I love, there's an old Michael Card song. If you guys are as old as I am and you remember Michael Card, he said that his, the love of Jesus, he said, you didn't have to nail Jesus to the cross. He said, for his love would have held him there. 
It was such a powerful line that it was such a cruel way to crucify the Son of Glory. He said, but his love would have literally held him on the cross for what he would go through for me and for you. And so again, God is adding to the church and he's doing that because people are willing to stand up for truth. And, and again, may God use us in these last days, right? Now more than ever, because the world is looking, they're afraid, they're scared, they're looking for truth. They might not necessarily tell that to you, but they are looking, they're watching, and they want to see how we respond. Do we become political? And you're seeing much of the church do that. And yes, do I believe in politics? Absolutely. But what did Jesus say? Our prayer, our desire in life is like kingdom come. Jesus is going to, you go, is there anybody that could be elected in public office that could fix the problem that the world has today? So no, what do we do? It's what I was reading last night. It's hasten the coming of the Lord. Hasten it. What? We're, we should be praying every day. Maranatha, 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 come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You're the only one who can fix this. And I truly believe that with all of my heart. And I pray that you do too. Verses five and seven goes on. It says, the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers and religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people. And I love, by what power or in whose name have you done this? They want to know. And it says, and Peter filled, again, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. Jesus, remember, he reminds us, he tells us, don't worry about what you would say, that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 through 20 puts it like this. When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So we're getting to see what? As Peter speaks here in Acts chapter 4, is it the Acts of the Apostles or is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostles? And it's the latter. It's the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing for Peter here, guess what? He will do for me and you as we look to him, as we rely upon him. What does it mean to believe? Remember the word believe? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to trust in, means to act upon, it means to rely upon, right? It's action. It's in the present tense. It's constantly, it's not past tense. Oh, I, I believe like I made a decision when I got saved. I make a decision every day to believe the Lord, to trust him, to lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge him. So we see Peter, because of seeing Jesus raised from the dead, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is it safe to say Peter's a different guy? Yeah. Do we see the change in Peter from being a coward to having tremendous courage? Yeah, you, go, you see it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 goes on, it says, and we're being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Think about that. You guys, you're, you're arresting us for helping somebody? It says, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So again, he makes it perfectly clear. This guy's been crippled for 40 years, and he was healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And what does Peter do? He turns it back on them. They're accusing Peter. And what does Peter do? He accuses them of something even greater. And he goes, you're accusing us of healing somebody. Guess what I'm accusing you of? Killing the son of glory, right? Ouch. And again, boldness. And like I told you, you go, this is a tough pill for them to swallow because the Sadducees don't believe in miracles. 
they talk about conviction. Verse 11 and 12 goes on. It says, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Then there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. He's quoting Psalm 118 there. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. And there's a story, and it's also become a legend. Some believe that it's a literal story, that it's actual. But it, it goes like this, that in the days when the Temple of Solomon were being built, it says, we know that it says that the Scripture says they didn't quarry the stones at the temple site because they didn't want to have the sound of a hammer or a chisel going on at the building of the temple in Jerusalem. So they quarried it at a quarry site. And then they moved the pre-hewn stones to the temple area, and they were placed in order. And they were so accurate in cutting them that you were unable to put a knife blade between the stones. There was no gap. No mortar was used at all. No cement was used. They were so precise, again, that you couldn't put anything between one course or the second course of stone. It says, but the stones that were hewn in the quarry, they were brought to the building site of the temple. They were there. They were laid out. The builders would follow a schematic, and they would put them on top of one another. But one of the stones was sent over from the quarry that had an odd shape to it, and none of the builders knew where it fit in. So they didn't know what to do with it, and they pushed it aside to a rubbish heap. Some say that they rolled it down into the Kidron Valley to be taken up later, and they rejected it. It says it was a stone that didn't fit anywhere until the temple was almost done, and they were missing the capstone, the cornerstone. And they say that we have every stone, but go tell the quarry that they need to send us the cornerstone, the capstone. And the quarry said, what do you mean to send you the capstone? We've already sent it. We sent it months ago. And then somebody remembered what happened. The stone that we marginalized because we said that it didn't fit anywhere, and we pushed it out and we rejected it. They found that stone, they brought it back up, and they put it in its place. It's a reminder that Jesus is the chief cornerstone that the Jewish leaders rejected. And now Peter is drawing them back to that very point, that they need to change their theology. They need to start believing in miracles. They need to believe in the resurrection from the dead because they have living proof right in front of them. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus? What happened with Lazarus? What was the miracle of Lazarus? Remember? What was it? He was raised from the dead, right? There's your resurrection, right? So the Sadducees are sad because they're going, man, this just does not go with our theology. And then the crippled man, crippled for 40 years, stands up and walks. It's a miracle. They don't believe in miracles. It's challenging their theology. Verse 13, it says, and then the members of the council were amazed when they saw, and I love this verse, the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had what? Been with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Can God use me? Can he use you? Yeah. What's your best credential that you've got going in the world today is that you've spent time with Jesus. That's it. That you've spent time with him that you know him, that you love him, that you serve him, that you're spending time with him. And you can do that just as they did in the flesh. We do in the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We have God's word, this living word. And Peter, like I said, he knew both. He knew the word of God, and he also knew the God of the word. And we can know the same too. Verses 14 through 22, we'll wrap it up like this. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right amongst them, 
there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. It says, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey rather than him? Or wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they did not know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for the miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. And again, it's just a, a reminder, and it's a sad reminder in, in many ways that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And People are going to believe what they want to believe, even if they're confronted with the truth. And, and that's what we have to understand, that we water, as Paul said, and we plant. But who gives the increase? God does, yeah. yeah. If you can convince somebody of something, guess what? Probably somebody can come along and convince them of something else. As we just water, we plant, we trust God to do what God can do. And again, oftentimes people will say, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. Scripture teaches us to the contrary. Really, it's believing that leads to seeing, believing the scriptures and what the scriptures teach, and then God opening our eyes to see those things where some people like Thomas, remember, he goes, I won't believe until I see. And, and for some, God will, will do that. He showed up for Thomas, right? And he said, hey, touch my hand, stick your hand on my side. And Thomas, oh, I don't need to do that. You are my Lord. You are my God. And may God help us as well. And as, as we close here today, here Peter and John, they don't try to appeal to the Jewish leaders, but rather they appeal to God themselves. And, and I love that. There's a day coming when we were all going to stand before the Lord, give an account of our life before God. And Peter and John, they understand this perfectly. They get this, that the thing that they don't want to do is to disappoint God. Like I said, in, in verse 22, where it said, this man was crippled for 40 years. God did something miraculous that day. And what that teaches us, and I really close with this, is that God's timing is everything. And there's something that's so encouraging about that to me today, because, again, God always does a miracle when it max, really maxes out his glorification. Because like I shared with you, Jesus passed by this man multiple times. Jesus could have healed him. Why did he wait until that day? Why did he wait until that day? And it was for his, God's glory. It, it, like I said, it maximized the glory of God. And like I said, maybe you're here today and maybe you're watching online from home and you're thinking about your own life today that you've prayed, you faithfully have prayed for 40 years. Like this crippled guy, that God would heal you, that God would do something. And maybe today, if you were honest, you go, Pastor Mike, I gave up on that years ago. And I just want to encourage you with this story today that I, I believe that the crippled man gave up too, because he wasn't begging for a healing, right? He was just begging for alms. He was just like, you know what? Just, man, help me get through the day. But what does Jesus see? He sees your greater need, amen? And he's going, man, I got a better cure than just giving you food for the day. What if we heal your legs where you can get up and walk? That God sees a bigger picture. Everything God's doing is from an eternal perspective but yet we can be very short-sighted and we can lose hope. And I look at this and I'm thinking, 
like I said, maybe God has done something amazing in your life this week. And today is that day where you just praise him. You just go, God, thank you. Thank you that I prayed and you answered the cry of my heart. But I just want to encourage in this as we close. Like I said, maybe it's been a great week. Maybe it hasn't been a great week. But we can each today, we can do exactly what we're going to see in the weeks ahead. As soon as they were released and they said, well, we've got to obey God and not man. And it says in that here's 2,000 more people that are added to the church. What was the first thing that Peter and John did? They went back with the disciples. They got together and they prayed. They prayed. They praised God for his faithfulness. They continued to seek God for what they had hoped. And as we understand, persecution is going to come against them tremendously. But it led them to the place as we started today that I asked you, I said, if you've gone through something great, then let's take a moment and let's praise God. If you've gone through a terrible week and, and your life is hurting, is, is come before God today. Lay that out. Let everything that happens in your life bring you to a place where you seek him. Let it bring you to him. Don't let, it, don't let the, the devil win. Don't let persecution push you away from God. May it help us to draw close to God. I'd shared with my wife, I told you our youngest son, Brandon and his wife, Brittany, are living with us now. And so we've got their three kids. We've got Sailor and Max and Story living with us. And Max is three and Story's one. And so our house is literally being destroyed as we speak, right? Probably right now. And, and, and we just started laughing. We, my wife goes, honey, she goes, it's, we have this wonderful opportunity to love on our kids and to, to minister to them. And we'll pick up the pieces one day when they're moved in with us to save money, to buy a house. And they said four months, but that'll be three or four years from now when that happens. So I said, so I sent her a song and I, I wanted to just play a clip of it even this morning. I know it's it eight after, but hopefully this will speak to you. I sent her this, it was an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song and it was saddle up and ride, saddle up your horses and, and put that on. If you, did you find it? And the thing that I love about this, you, you can turn it off. I, I just want to invite you, if you have a, a, an ability to download that, listen to that today because the Christian life really is a wonderful adventure. And my wife and I were talking about this. She's pray for me, honey, because if you know my wife, she likes to keep our house clean. And she knew that if we did this, that uh, it wasn't ever going to be the same again. And she was okay with that. And so it's just this thing of life is an adventure. You think that you're going one direction and then God leads you in a completely different direction. And it can involve for the church, they're going to go through 300 years of tremendous persecution. But what happened to the church? We're here today because of their faithfulness. Amen that God just kept adding to the church daily those that were being saved. So thank God for people who will stay faithful to God through the thick and through the thin. And so today, like I said, we rejoice with them that rejoice. We sorrow with them that sorrow. If, if life is great for you, then man, just praise God today. But if you're hurting today and you're going through it, then praise God today. Seek him. And again, allow God to bind us together. And that's what the world then will take notice of. That's what they see, that through the thick and the thin, as man, we just stay with Jesus. He's the head, we're the body, amen, and let him do that work. And, and what, a, what a testimony that is. You don't have to go it alone. That, that's the most amazing thing. And he's with you. And as we study this out, we're continuing to come back to what it's not the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles, the disciples, 
which includes me includes you as well. And so go with God as we go in that great adventure. Know that he is leading you and he's guiding you every step of the way and enjoy the time that you get to spend with him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close with prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. We pray that as we go out today, we'd go out in the wonderful name of Jesus. If we're here and we need healing today, thank you that you heal. Lord, thank you that you restore, that you redeem. Thank you that you save. If we don't have a personal relationship with you, we can begin that even right now. The Lord is still adding to the church daily those who are being saved. And it's simply by calling upon the name of the Lord, confessing our sin, repenting, turning from our sin, turning to you, leaning on you, trusting your word, walking with you, walking in the power of your spirit that you provide. And Lord, meet us in this place today. Fill us as we go. Help us to be aware, God, that you're with us today. And that wherever we go, Lord, you said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so, God, we find comfort in that today. We find our strength in that as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.